Now, this is what I tell anybody that's delivering content, sermons, small group material, writing books, doing podcasts. If you're delivering content, this was the greatest personal learning I ever had. Those first three books were for me. My flag, answer to my question, and the book I always wanted to write. Those three were for me. This book literally has you in the title, Seven Skills You Need to Move from Pandemic to Progress. And ironically, it was the only book I've ever written that was an Amazon number one bestseller. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Social Media Church podcast. I am joined today by one of my co-hosts, DK Hammond. DK, good to see you What's as up, always. Hey, hey, hey. DK is really excited safe, today. I'm also unsafe at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're just letting people know. Uh, <laughs> DK is the safest unsafe person that you have ever been Got around. Um, and I feel very safe right now with DK because... Good. DK is having a fanboy moment with today's yes. guest of the podcast, and Absolutely. we are honored uh, and, and want to actually, before we introduce our guest, give some love to a previous guest that recommended today's guest, Tom Pounder. Tom, thank you so much for sharing your network with us. We all get better when we share our networks together. And yep. today we are joined by none other than the creator of Brian Dodd on leadership.com. Brian Dodd himself. Some of you, as I've come to find out, have been following Brian for a really long time. And Brian may have been the OG of talking yes. about leadership because he learned leadership from the greatest, John Maxwell. Brian, thank you so much for taking some time to be with us today to talk about all things church, ministry, sports, and any other place this conversation goes today. Leadership, definitely. Uh, thanks for being here. Oh, my heavens. It's a pleasure for me. And when I got on here and DK said he's been reading my site for 12 years, hey, look, I'm the fanboy now. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, yeah. And, and in terms of the OG, I worked for the OG for a long time, John Maxwell. He is the OG. All of us are just, you know, we're just branches off the John Maxwell leadership trees. Well, there's some great uh, analogies there for sports, no doubt about it. And John Maxwell's coaching tree, uh, per se, is a long one and it continues to grow. And I think what's really cool, uh, Brian, is that even on this call, we're able to see the fruits of John's labor, even going to DK through you. Uh, and we are at our best as Christians and followers of Jesus when we are more like a river than a dam and the things that we are learning and the things that were given to steward that we're passing down, which is probably, Brian, why you wrote four books. Uh, do you want to tell us about the four books you wrote? And then we'll maybe get into some sports and some other stuff we want to talk about today. Yeah, you know, the the four books really kind of kind of grew out of the website, you know. Wow. Um, yeah, I'll tell you this, uh, and, and I'll answer the question about the four books. Obviously, I don't want to sidestep it. But my website, I originally wrote it to write a book. Wow. Yeah, because what happened was I just wanted to write a book. You know, I was a young and upcoming leader and I just had big dreams and just wanted my name to matter and me put down a flag and 
you know, obviously, let's be honest, I was a very immature Christian. You know, I should have found my worth in Jesus, but obviously I didn't. And uh, so what happened was I knew I couldn't write, um, sit down and knock out 50, 60,000 words, but I could write three to 500 a day. So really what I was going to do, my website was just going to be, okay, I was just in essence going to make each day almost a little mini section or a little chapter, and then at a certain point combine them. And so that's how the website started. It was, it was started just to be a housing place for what would be my first book. Wow. So, you know, obviously that took a different detour and things of that nature, but that's how the website started. And to give you the four books, my first book was called uh, The Two-Minute Leader, 10 Indispensable Practices of the Two-Minute Leader. And really, that's my philosophy on leadership. And that was the first book I ever wrote. It's got a study guide with it. It's now a coaching course on my website. Love that book. By the way, all four books, they're like your kids. You love them all, but, you know, they're different. Second book is called Timeless. And timeless for me, I had, a, I had a question in my mind. Throughout human history, uh, biblical days, ancient times, all the way up to modern times, were there common threads that the best of the best leaders and the oh. best of the best churches, best of the best organizations, were there common threads that they had in common? And so really, I studied over 180 different and i would do my study as a daily blog on the website like going back at that time Derek rhodes of the bulls had won the mvp and so i did like you know 18 leadership lessons from Derek rhodes well that was going to go in the book because for a brief period of time he was the best in the world and so anyway it's really a research project and i discovered there were 10 things so that's timeless 10 enduring practices of apex leaders a uh, third book I wrote was the book I always wanted to write. And it was just a, an annual compilation of my best articles for an entire year. And that's 2021, the year in leadership. And the thing about it, I, I, I want to tell people on this who might want to write a book. There is the passion side of it and the commercial side of it. I love 2021, the year in leadership. If you made me pick my favorite book, it'd be that one. But here's the problem. And I had it in my mind I was going to be like a Dale. You know, I mean, I'm going to have every year would going to be a book. And you'd have this whole library. But here's the problem. About halfway through 2021, June or July, people quit buying that book. That was, or actually 2022. So it was the following year. Uh, old news. That was yesterday's news. We're leaders. We're worried about today. We're thinking about tomorrow. That was old news. So from a commercial standpoint, the, the tough thing for me, I thought about re-releasing it because the principles and the stories in it are timeless. I just gave it a bad title. Okay. So one of the chapters in that book was a devotion I taught about David's mighty men. And so I would go to churches and I would go to different groups. If I went to a secular group, I would just talk about military history. You know, if I was in church, I'd do David's Mighty Men, 2 Samuel 23, you know. And, uh, but what happened, I came out with seven lessons and they were in the wilderness. So there was almost a little, I tied it back to the pandemic. So that's where the story Mighty 
seven skills you need to move from pandemic to progress. And that was the first book, Aaron and DK, I ever wrote for other people. Oh, wow. Now, this is what I tell anybody that's delivering content, sermons, small group material, writing books, doing podcasts. If you're delivering content, this was the greatest personal learning I ever had. Those first three books were for me. My flag, answer to my question, and the book I always wanted to write. Those three were for me. This book literally has you in the title, Seven Skills You Need to Move from Pandemic to Progress. And ironically, it was the only book I've ever written that was an Amazon number one bestseller. Wow. And the only thing I attribute it to, because it's not my favorite of the four, you know, 2021 is, but I mean, it's a great book. I love it. It's one of your kids, you know, I love it. Um, But it's the only one to hit number one. And here's the reason I think that happened is, is just for that. It's the only book I ever wrote for other people. And, and God honored that the marketplace honored it. And I'm really, really proud of this book. And uh, yeah, I think it's, it's very similar to 2021. It's kind of 2022, but it's packaged with the seven skills and it's, you know, it's got small group content in it and it's written for other people. So I packaged it different, organized it different, edited it different, and just really thrilled with what God's done with that book. Brian, I'm, and I want to let DK jump in, but one of the things that just jumps off the page to me is you chose to create a website. You did not open a Word document. Uh, And I'm really curious how you made that decision of like, as I journey through these writings, which will eventually become my flag book, and then which will eventually become my thesis, which was Mm -hmm. discovering what over 180 leaders had in common, boiling it down to 10, and then what will eventually become literally the content for my book because the website was performing so well. Why did you choose to start with a website instead of just opening a Word document that you just kept adding to every day? Okay, great question. So uh, I work for Enjoy Stewardship Solutions. So we we help pastors with leadership development, capital campaigns, creating cultures of generosity, those type of things. So I'm going to go back now to like 2008. So we had, we had a new president, new owner. John Maxwell had just sold our company. So this new owner comes in. His name is Rick Campbell. First meeting. He goes, okay, uh, folks, there's this new thing out called Twitter. Pastors are on it. I want everybody to get a Twitter account. Wow. And I want everybody to post at least one thing a day. But I, there was this guy at the company named Adam. He goes, but I want Adam to approve your tweet. <laughs> the original tweet, uh, the original Twitter moderation. There you go. <laughs> yeah, man, that's crazy. So, uh, yeah, that was long before the poor Adam. Ad- by the way, his name was Adam. Adam was his the moderator. Was poor yeah. Adam. Yeah. So what happened? Well, you know, it's kind of like a whole bunch of things, you know, with early adopters and things of that nature. I'm just a good soldier you know, rule follower, that kind of thing. And so I did it. And finally, after, so it was funny. The first tweet I ever did was the Sunday Tom Brady got sacked and injured his knee and was out for the year. Okay. And what I wrote and I heard, I heard a news conference or something. They just said, the game must go on. And I said, you know, Tom Brady's injured carted off the field, the game goes on. 
sobering truth for pastors. That was the first tweet I ever did. Wow. So anyway, so I'm doing it and I'm like, there's some stuff I want to say that takes more than 180 characters. Mm. So they had this thing called twit wall at the time. And twit wall was you could type in a paragraph and when you entered it, it would give like the first sentence and then a hyperlink to the rest. So anyway, so I started writing a paragraph and then I was like, well, now that I'm this far in, there's some things I want to say that take more than a paragraph. And, and I had it in my mind to do the book. And so do y'all know Tony Morgan? Okay. Uh, I don't know Tony. Tony Morgan is a church consultant who I greatly admire. Okay. He runs a group called the Unstuck Group, helps churches oh, get yeah, unstuck in the moment. Yeah. Love Tony Morgan. So I was at Ray Johnston's conference in Bayside, California, and Tony was selling his book, Killing Cockroaches, there. <laughs> and you read it, and it's just like all this best blogs. And I'm like, Eureka, this is it. So then I started brian.onleadership.com. And I started doing things every day that would be like Tony. And I'm like, okay, in about six, eight, nine months, I'll have me a book. Well, then I discovered this thing called publishers and things of that nature. And they weren't as accommodating as, as I was. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I had to build up my subscriber list. DK, thank you for that. You know, people like DK is when somebody finally took a chance on me. And then I got my first book published. So here's what I would tell everybody who creates content. If you want it to be as successful as possible and you've got this big dream, God's put it in your heart. He's given you a voice and you're just figuring out how to get that voice out in whatever medium you may be operating in. The number one thing I would tell you, as much as you want to plant your flag down and get your voice out and find your voice Make sure you're serving other people. If you make it about other people, you will be more successful and you will have a larger audience and you will have more influence than you will. If you're just like, I just, I got this song in my heart. I got to get out, you know? So that would, that would be my advice to anybody who creates content. Powerful response. If you're, if you're just not coming in, I'm DK Hammers with Aaron as well as with one of the premier voices in leadership, Brian Dye. We're so glad again to have you and thank you for that information, brother. Um, For a person that's been following you for this long, Mm -hmm. I never would have thought when I seen your name on the email that I'd be interviewing you or have an opportunity to interview you in this space. So uh, I think one question I would ask you um, being in this position now is, how are you merging tech with your writing? Because it seems like you have the social media stuff kind of on lock. You can automate that. But what what technological skills are you equally merging in with your writing that also helps make an impact in other areas? Okay. So why don't I just address the elephant in the room? Chat GPT. Got to. Come on, man. All right. Let's just, let's just dive in. And I do use chat GPT. Okay. Yes, sir. Let me tell you what I use it for. If I'm writing and I don't use chat GPT. Really quick, Brian, really quick. We're just, all the pastors need to tune in real quick. Just, just, I'm talking to you that may have just like hit hit pause. You're about to skip it. I just need you to, 
<laughs> I just need you to listen because Brian is an author. Brian has his own thoughts. Brian has his own website on leadership. So before you write off ChatGPT that it can't plagiarize your sermons, it's going to replace God speaking to you, just please. I don't know what Brian's about to say, to be clear, but I want you to listen in because I feel it in my spirit. Brian's about to say something to you, pastor, that's going to speak to you about how you should be leveraging ChatGPT to help you, not replace you in writing your weekly content, whatever that might be, devotionals, maybe it's your sermon. Brian, please continue. Sorry I interrupted you. We just had to get the people that were sleeping in the back of the auditorium awake <laughs> yeah, and listening to the professor. Professor, well, please. Yeah, so chat GPT. Um, I'll just use an, an article I wrote. By the way, everything you said that it could write your sermons and you could you could get God out cool. of the equation. Oh, yeah, that could happen. I cool. mean, let's just be honest. By the way, interesting thing on that. If you use somebody else's sermon and you preach somebody else's sermon, you've already done that anyway. That's facts. Okay. That's yes, facts. Sir. Yes. Yes. Okay. DK and I just stood up on the front row of your sermon and we're shouting you oh, down, man. Pastor. Yeah. So for all those pastors who are very famous who go, oh, yeah, just use my stuff. You know, I'm here for you. I ignore that. Yeah. Okay. Here you go. Okay, Brian, right. tell us how you're using it. Let's address the yeah. elephant. Okay. So last night I wrote an article, uh, five things you know, you should tell every young leader. Okay. Yeah. I could easily go in the chat GPT and type in what are five things you should tell to every young leader and I'll under, under 500 words and bam, I'd have it in 20 seconds tops. Okay. Yeah. All right. That could happen here. Here's the thing about it. If I'm writing an article and I'm like, I just don't like the way that sounds. Hmm? And I play around with it and I'm like, I still don't like the wording of that sentence or that paragraph. I'll copy and paste the sentence in the chat GPT and just say, edit it. So I use it as my editor. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes I like what they say and sometimes I'm like, okay, I, that's worse than what I had, you know? That's right. That's uh, right. So, cause sometimes they'll put it in some type of line of, uh, wording or language that's not mine or something of that nature. And sometimes it helps. Bottom line, I use it for editing. I do not use it for ideas. I'll still use Google Trends if I want something like that, mm -hmm. but I, I don't use it to replace anything. And here's the thing about it. And I'm speaking on behalf of all human beings. Okay. I, it's going to come across that I'm saying it about me and it may sound narcissistic and arrogant. It's not. When it comes to the big lessons of something, me, DKU, Aaron, you, and everybody listening is smarter than ChatGPT. Yes, sir. Okay. I'll give you an example of something I'm thinking a lot about now that's going to go into my next book. Okay. And it's not going to be the whole book. It'll just be a, a, a little parable within it or a little story, but it's the Odyssey. Hmm. Hmm. And if you remember that book, okay, um, the star of it, Odysseus, has been in battle hmm. for 20 years. Yes. Yep. And he comes back and he's going to kill everybody that's been trying to, you know, pick up his wife while he was gone. So he dresses as a beggar and nobody recognizes him except his dog, Argos. 
because Argos had been kicked out of the house on the dung heap, you know, you can just imagine, covered with fleas, covered with mange, about to die. No one recognizes Odysseus except Argos. And Argos wags his tail, sees his master for the last time, and dies. Here's the principle, okay? Argos could see the essence yes. of who Odysseus was. He could see past the optics. He could see past the appearance. He could see past what everybody else saw. And, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write about the essence of leadership in my next book, okay? Here's the thing. ChatGPT ain't telling me how to interpret Argos looking at his master in the context of leadership. Yes, sir. So no way would I use ChatGPT to help me. And here's the thing I tell pastors. And I'd also tell it to small group leaders who have to lead their small groups, Sunday school teachers, anything like that. In the book of Numbers, there's this concept called the tent of meeting. Hmm. Very famous hmm. passage. Moses goes into the tent of meeting. The cloud comes down and Moses spends time face to face with God and talks to God like a friend would talk to a friend. Yes. Well, what's not talked about a lot is everybody in the camp would pitch their tents around it in anticipation of Moses coming out and, and saying, here's what God told me to tell you about the issues of your life. In modern day terms, that camping around the tent is Sunday morning. We show up every Sunday hoping our pastors have had a tent meeting, a tent of meeting time with God, in which God gave them a specific word about a specific group of people at a specific time in human history about the specific issues of their life. And I've kind of been around enough, and I do church consulting and all that kind of stuff, and honestly, and it's one of those things you wish you couldn't do it, but I can tell when a pastor's winging it. Mm. And I'm literally mad when that happens because I'm not mad you didn't prepare and you didn't have a quiet time and you did all that. I'm mad because you thought so little of the people that you think they would buy it. And, I, and I'm not buying it. Now, I, what am I going to do with that information? Nothing. You know, I mean, let's just be honest. I'm not going up to a pastor and going, hey, dude, you're just winging it. You're killing it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, right. I, I'm not. I'm not doing that. You just kind of have to eat it, you know, but, but yeah. Chat you come on to the social media church podcast and talk about it, Brian preach about it. Let me, let me, let me edit it. Yes. I was just thinking DK has got a million things to say. I was just thinking my, my one thing, Nick Saban's not going to chat GPT and saying, Hey, give me the, give me the top five star recruits no. in the nation. That's not what he's doing. He's no. finding, he's finding the top five recruits. And, he's in the selecting. Nation. and by the way, that's a different list. That's a Benny different list. Benny Select. I think I think I but think, say this. I say all that and then DK, I interrupt you. I'm so sorry. No, I, say, you I, I say all that to say this. Chat GPT ain't giving us none of that. Right. I use it for editing. I use it to help me get over a little hump. Yep. But the content yes. is mine, the thoughts are mine, where I want to go is mine. And really the response of the audience is not dependent on Chat GPT. So no. All right, DK, yeah. I interrupted you. I'm so sorry. No, 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 no. We, you know, one one thing that I've learned um, when 
when sitting before great men is to sit and sit quietly and listen and tell them. Because you're going to learn something that you need to take along the way. And so what we've just learned is the value of ChatGPT. And let me just throw this in there from a technical standpoint. ChatGPT is not connected to the internet. Therefore, its information comes from other people's information. Right. And it's able to give you information that you need. So to that point, it becomes a great virtual assistant. It does not become the main person in the orchestra. So you have to use it like a VA, not like it's going to take somebody's place. And so I I think that's really important. Go ahead, Brian. All right. Okay. Uh, I assume y'all are married and I know we're going to be talking to a lot of husbands. Here's another thing I use for ChatGPT. For Mother's Day, I bought my wife a high-end air fryer. I mean, it's got all the bells and whistles and all that kind of stuff. And so anyway, I'll use ChatGPT for give me a good salmon recipe for such and such, you know, a 320 air fryer, whatever the name is. And then it'll pop me out a recipe. So I use it to help my wife and I use it to get over speed bumps and editing. And that's what I use chat GPT for. Love it. I love it. Um, I'm there. There's so much, Brian, it's very evident that you like sports uh, and it, there, there's so much of the things that, that you've been sharing on leadership principles and just, uh, that are blending beautifully with, obviously you've, you've quoted a ton of scripture already, uh, on this podcast as well. Um, but I'm curious in the, in the sports world, who is your biggest inspiration for the leadership content that you've written and, and maybe, and maybe in your four books, or maybe each book takes on a different persona of a different, uh, sports person. Uh, but yeah, take that question where you want to run with it. Yeah, I, you know, I'm going to answer the question that, the way you ask it and give you one. But then if I have permission, I want to give you an off the radar one. Okay. As well. You, have, you have our permission. Yeah. I, you know, interestingly, and here's something I've kind of learned over the last year. I'll get into it with the, with the second off the radar person. I, from a leadership perspective, I live in Georgia, but I am fascinated by Nick Saban in Alabama. Mm-hmm. And I am not, I, I, I admire the process. I admire the championships, you know. Um, but if I could sit down with, with Coach Saban, here's what I would want to talk to him about. How has he developed his ability to change? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm 57 years old. I'm starting to get older. And every day, DK and Aaron, I have to fight the urge to rest on what I accomplished yesterday. Yeah. Wow. And I, I mean, for older leaders, there one day it'll be a healthy conversation to go how hard you have to work to remain relevant. Okay. I, it is, there are times it is exhausting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because it's just so much easier to say, look at the trophies, look at the pelts on the wall. But if you look at Nick Saban's career, everything from the type of players he recruits, like he went to smaller linebackers because of the spread offense and he needed more speed. He went to the spread offense, you know, when it used to be just a power running game, you know, when he first got there. His staff, basically, I'd say 50% of it turns over every year. Every year. 
Yep. So, you know, you, you, you have to, to be able to... Not because it. he's firing them for you non-sports fans, but because they're so talented, he loses them and has to restaff. Uh, well, I live in Georgia where our two-time national champion coach was his defensive That's coordinator. Right. You know, right. so, yeah. so, you know, if anyone ever had the right to say, don't talk to me, you're being disrespectful, I think I know what I'm doing. When you've won at least your first national championship, feel free to come talk to me. If anyone had the right to say that, it would be Nick Saban. Mm-hmm. And his ability to change, and he this doesn't get talked about it, but anybody that changes knows the humility to be willing to change. All of the, I, I would want to sit down and I'd have a list of about 25 questions for Coach Saban, all centered on the subject of managing change. Wow. That, that to me, like I've read books about the process. I've read books about his recruiting. Great stuff, by the way, on team building. You do it inside out. You build models, de-recruiting, all the, the value of competition, all those kind of things. But, yeah, the ability to change. Now, for your leaders, I want to give you one off the radar. Okay? Uh, I am fascinated with European soccer. I don't understand the game. The real football. The, yeah. Okay. No, I'm not willing to go there yet. <laughs> <laughs> that's because you're. That's because you're an American that lives in Georgia. <laughs> you're the real football. I'm so sorry. Uh, you know. Uh, but and we'll. You know. Sooner or later, we'll load it back to somebody. Maybe Texas or Texas A&M. There you go. Yeah. There so, you go. But uh, but anyway, I was thinking. Okay, every player over there is like Tom Brady in terms mm-hmm. of popularity. Okay, so that level of intensity, that level of fan interest, that level of excellence that's demanded from the fan base and to be able to lead those teams. I was like, I want to study how they do that. So I did a, I did. I've been doing a deep dive for two years. Well, the first person I studied was a manager by the name of Jurgen Klopp of Liverpool. Mm. Okay, I love Jurgen Klopp. Um, there are two off the radar leadership books. One is called Legacy by James Kerr, which is a study of the All Blacks rugby team. I can't mm-hmm. recommend it enough to anyone involved in leadership. Uh, but there's a book called Believe Us, written by Melissa Reddy, R E D D Y, that chronicles Liverpool's team that year and how they built it. And also, too, if you're a manager, the ability to lead high-capacity, high-maintenance individuals. Yes. So, so I, I went in there and I read that book. I learned more about dealing with failure from reading Believe Us than I ever have in any other book. Mm. And Jurgen Klopp has this unbelievable quote, and he says, leadership, what failure is, failure is a data point. Yes. Failure is r- rarely fatal. I mean, it, it rarely is fatal. 99 times out of 100, it's just a data point that you can learn from. Oh, okay, that didn't work. What can I take from that? There's carbon in every death, you know, so what can I take from that? How can I get better? How can I learn? Let me don't get down on myself, but let me evaluate reality. That didn't turn out well, but what's the data telling me? And so whenever I talk to people about failure, a lot of people feel bad about a bad personnel decision. Either they hired the wrong person or they 
stayed with the wrong person too long, or they made a strategic mistake or just any of those type of things. And I say, okay, let me talk, let me talk you in off the ledge a little bit. Failure is just a data point. Tell me what you learned. And then I begin to walk them through that process. I learned all of that from Liverpool's football soccer manager, Jurgen Klopp. Wow. And, uh, and so, yeah, that's, I've, I've really enjoyed that study of European football. <laughs> All right. So I love the way you think through leadership mm -hmm. and how you're finding new ways to reinvent the topic matter. You use various sports metrics to do that. Now, those are dope. Cause I'm going to go get all the books you just mentioned and I'm going to read through all those books. Cause that's my thing. But you mentioned data points and how failure is nothing more than a data point. How can, what failures in leadership can help us? What data points can help us become better leaders in your opinion? Okay. Um, I want to tell all the listeners that if I was sitting at lunch with DK and Aaron, once again, I'm going to answer your question. But the DK said something there that was brilliant, which was reframing the leadership topic. You know, it's interesting. I'm a leadership author. I've written four books and God's been very kind to my website. Um, after you've had the Bible and John Maxwell wrote 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, you really didn't need any more books. Nothing else. <laughs> um, and really what has happened since then, me included, you're, you're diving deeper into certain topics and you're reframing things. Um, I'm from the John Maxwell tree. You mentioned that earlier. I can tell you what branch. So in 21 Irrefutable Laws, there's a branch called, there's a law called the Law of Intuition. Leaders evaluate everything from a leadership bias. So I had a boss at the time named Dave Sutherland, longtime enjoy people will know that name. He comes into my office one morning and he was a very passionate man. And he goes, Brian, I said, yes, sir. He goes, I'm reading the USA Today today, and Kenny Phillips is starting as a freshman for the University of Miami. Do you know why? Well, I know who Kenny Phillips was. He was the number one recruit in the nation, but I was not going to offer anything to what Dave was saying. I'm like, no, sir, what would you? He goes, preparation, Brian, preparation. Kenny prepared to play as a freshman. What are you doing to prepare your team? And he gets up and stomps out of the room. So I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I read the USA Today and I read the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and I read Sports Illustrated and Fast Company and the Sporting News when it was still around. I started reading every article pulling out the leadership principles. That's how it all started. Reframing. 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 They, I, I, would love, I would love for us to adopt reframing leads to reimagination. Oh, that is okay, DK. I promise. I <laughs> hey, you made the author write something down. That's his sixth book. He just oh, reframing leads to reimagination. So what you're saying is, Rick hey, Rubin I get so proud of you. I get all this good information from all these various sources, and I'm able 
to reimagine it in a way that is applicable to said audience. Yeah. That is what occurred. Yeah. Right. And we can't go away from that. I, and I think a lot of people that are that's listening, they are at a stage where they are reframing, but they don't know how to get to that reimagination part okay. um, of leadership. So walk us through that too, brother. Okay. Well, I'm going to tell you a story before. Um, and I'm going to talk about one of my major failures and how I reframed and reimagined it. Okay. I'd been with Enjoy Stewardship uh, at that particular time, 18 years. Very successful. God had been so kind. And um, several months prior to that, I made a mistake in terms of how I was resourcing the team and giving them opportunity. Okay. And, and I was wrong. Um, but you know, your pride kicks in and you're like, I'm doing what's best for the company. And you know, you just bow up, you know? And so the company was not happy with me and I was not happy with the company. Okay. Um, uh, and I take full responsibility. Okay. Full responsibility. And I'll never forget it cause it was on my birthday, February 7th. So John Maxwell had just written his book called The Leader's Greatest Return. And he was doing the videotaping at a local church uh, here in our area. And, you know, he was doing the video curriculum course. You know, you can buy the video course for X amount of dollars. So he was filming it. Well, I'm still real good friends with all those people. And they, they said, would you like to have a free ticket and come sit in the bowl? Well, the bowl is the area right around the stage where the camera is. Well, I'm a note taker, as you've already just pointed out, and I'll smile. So I, I get to sit in the bowl, you know, and I love John Maxwell and all that. So here's what the leader's greatest return is. The leader's greatest return is when you have led so faithfully for a long period of time that you've now got your, your branches, you know, you got your tree. And now your tree is producing, all these individual trees are producing fruit and you're the beneficiary of it. That's the leader's greatest return. So it was on February 7th, my birthday. I was 54 years old. And I remember sitting there getting that coaching and that training from, from the OG himself. And I remember driving home with my wife, Sonia, and it was like God spoke to me. And he goes, Brian, you're 54 years old. In the church world, for what I do, eight, 45 to 55 is like a sweet spot. You got enough gray hair, enough experience, they'll listen to you. But you better be real careful because you're soon to become an old man and irrelevant and that kind of thing. And God's like, Brian, you got 18 years on this. You got the website. You got some books, you know. You know, I've given you a small platform. You're not John Gordon or John Maxwell, but you got a little platform. But Brian, here's the issue. You've got all these young people at the company. If you don't start investing in them in 10 years when you're dead or retired, everything that's been invested in you dies with you. Talk, sir. 
<laughs> and I didn't make an announcement to anybody because you don't want to be that guy that, hey, I read a book, so we're going to do something different. Or I went to a conference. You give your people whiplash and schizophrenia because they're like, what's he reading today and how's our life going to change? <laughs> so I didn't make an announcement to anybody. But I remember, like, I've got about, I'm 54. I got 10 to 15 years left, maybe 16 or 17. I'm going to spend the rest of my time investing in the next generation, just pouring into mm. it. Because if I do, then what's been invested in me lives on. If I don't, then when I'm done, it's done. And I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell a soul. Interestingly, one month later, uh, COVID hit. So I was really kind of like, we have a lot of young people. I was talking through them with mental health and, you know, making sure they're okay and, you know, providing some stability and peace and, you know, comfort is, you know, cause of the uncertainty, which by the way, I was uncertain myself as we all were. Mm -hmm. But here's the funny thing. I'm 57 now. I've been doing that for three years. I have never been so fulfilled. Hmm. Uh, you know, companies never been happier with me. I mean, I've had a very successful career. They've never been happier with me. My numbers have never looked better. Uh, the metrics, the measurables. And here was the thing, a major failure on my part, a big data point, you know, uh, a fumble at the goal line. I mean, a big data point. Um, because I was willing to think of, I guess we're having a theme on this call now, because I was willing to think about others and have the self-awareness to know that number one, I was wrong. Number two, I was being real prideful. And number three, the sands in the hourglass are now starting to run out. I still got plenty left in the tank, but I've crossed that line where it says, hey, retirement 10 miles down the road. <laughs> you know, that exit sign has showed up, you know. That's right. Um, because I was willing to do that and leverage failure and turn it into a positive, it's turned out to be, I'm 57 years old. I've never been more successful and fulfilled at any point in my life in terms of what I did. Wow. DK, if that's not, if that's not applicable to church, uh, I don't, I don't know what is, um, and how much more we as church leaders should be modeling this. And is this not what Jesus did? Uh, in his leadership, right? Uh, one of those 180 leaders that you no doubt studied uh, in all of in all of your exploration for your second book. Yeah, thank you well, for sharing you know, that, Ryan. No, you're welcome. Look, it's tough. I get it. You know, you you start you start getting to a certain age, and you're like, okay, I need to get the mortgage paid off. I need to get these yep. kids through college. I got to pay for one heck of an expensive wedding, and then grandkids are more expensive than the wedding was. That's something they don't tell you. And, 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 you know, you're sitting there and you're, I mean, you're working really, really hard. And, and then you get this little sense of, okay, we need to start looking at the next group of people. And you're like, I'm not ready to be kicked to the curb. In That's fact, good. in fact, I've got a lot left to give and I need to give a lot because I still got this thing called life. That's getting more <laughs> and more expensive. Okay? Come on. So I get it that everything in the world pushes against thinking about the next generation and investing in others. I totally get it. So I'm very sympathetic, but as a leader, it's the fine print in the leadership contract. There's a bunch of stuff in small print. Leaders rarely have two good days in a row. That's in the small print. 
Okay. <laughs> Leaders take all the blame and give away all the credit. That's in the small print. Yep. You know, uh, leadership is not about you. You give up the right to make yourself the primary focus of everything you do. That's in the small print. Man, there's so some people that need to get out their magnifying glasses <laughs> right now, bro. So, so Brian, yeah, I, you know this may be this may seem controversial and crumbs question, but I, I got I feel like I'm, I'm compelled to ask. Uh, well, look, you've because, 12 years of reading stuff. You've earned the right to ask it. Oh, you, yeah, you've earned yeah, one sure. question, DK. <laughs> yeah, you've, you've now, one. you yeah. you you have talked about very clearly what leadership is. But what you have not yet just kind of tiptoed in is what leadership is not. And I say that because I'm watching and examining, you know, people follow the celebrity pastor model Mm -hmm. and they think that's leadership. Right. Now, and but I also see those who follow the other model Mm -hmm. and they think that's leadership. Mm -hmm. So help us understand the difference between that. And the other part of that. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you know, yeah, that's a controversial topic because here, here's the thing. Um, I'm trying to word this in a way that this ain't going to go viral and all that kind of good. <laughs> <laughs> Look, here's, here's the deal. Here, hey, just type it into chat GPT first and see what we can <laughs> edit yourself. Viral if I say it. Okay. All right, let's talk, about, let's talk about this. All right. Um, the movie, The Passion of the Christ. Sure. There's this very compelling scene in it where Jesus is standing by Pontius Pilate. Yes. And if you remember in that movie, Mel Gibson, which the Holy Spirit had to guide him as he was making that movie, Jesus would have flashbacks at periodic points in the movie. Jesus is standing uh, next to Pontius Pilate and Pontius Pilate washes his hands. And Jesus flashes back to when he put his hands in a bowl and he washed the disciples' feet. What Mel Gibson did with that scene is he divided leaders into two categories. Leaders either wash hands or wash feet. Look, I give Mel Gibson all the credit. Leaders either serve themselves or they serve others. And it doesn't matter if you're leading a church, if you're leading a sports team, if you're leading your neighborhood association, it doesn't matter. All leaders are going to fall in one or two buckets. And uh, so you do. So what, what is leadership not? Leadership is not serving yourself. And that is you make decisions that benefit you financially. It gives you ease. Like, hey, I don't want to have to deal with that. Well, it's in the leadership fine print. Okay, you have to deal with it. You know, you don't have to do that. Uh, It's about your legacy. It's about suppressing other people. It's about oppressing other people. It's about, you know, it's things that harm people for your benefit. As a leader, you have to give up all that. All of those are self-serving leadership traits, okay? Wow. Um, And leaders that serve others is the exact opposite of everything I just said. Wow. Brian, I couple things, couple things that come to my head as I'm digesting. Really, this whole conversation, you, Brian, are very 
it's it's an air about you that you can tell you've been around a lot of great leaders and you can tell that you have spent some time figuring out your craft. Uh, there's one thing that you didn't say, not necessarily pertaining to the movie, but the one thing that I always think about that's also in leadership fine print is um, what Jesus chose not to answer and the lack of the lack of ability. Also, when he's talking to a king, the lack of uh, Jesus's desire to um, answer a question and just take it. He didn't, he chose not to defend himself. Um, and there was, there's, there's this level of humility that looks a lot different than maybe the humility that we ascribe, um, in, uh, you know, modern day 2023. But what, what you're saying, Brian is so spot on. And I think the thing that I am preaching to myself right now, we aren't able to judge whether it, whether leaders are foot washing leaders or hand-washing leaders. We might be able to sense it. We might be able to feel it. Maybe we've been under it and we know a little bit more definitively, but let me tell you, there is only one entity, one God that can judge hearts. And that's really where you find out. It's not physical. It's the hearts, right? And the heart yeah. is where you determine, are you a foot-washing leader or are you a hand-washing leader? And Jesus knows, and, and our job, we can maybe sense it, and we know for ourselves what we should be doing, right? Because because we can be a better judge of our hearts. Um, but I would caution us to be to be judging. Yep, that's a that's a hand washing leader over there, or that pastor of that church. They're not washing any feet over there, right? Slow your roll on that. Let's just look. Let's just look inwardly and and make some determinations on our own heart. Are we a foot washing leader or are we a hand washing leader? Well, going back to celebrity pastors. Uh, it primarily through John Maxwell and what I do. Um, yeah, I've, I've met a ton of them over the years. And, you know, I, you, you do have some that are rock stars and alpha males and, you know, but unless you're with them and seeing how they treat their family, how they make decisions, what their prayer life is like, how they're burdened by their congregations, Unless you, unless you're able to see that behind the scenes, you don't know. You just don't know. And look, I want to tell you another thing. So I help churches with capital campaigns. Okay, I have a very unique job in that I only talk to pastors of growing churches, because mm. churches that aren't growing or expanding or aren't paying off debt to free money up. They for ain't calling. They ain't calling. Okay. In fact, I may get an angry email, take me off your list. You know, uh, they ain't calling. So here's the thing. It's, I would say just because of what I do and God can remove the job tomorrow. Okay. So I don't say this, anything about Brian Dodd yeah, is just right. the job. Uh, I may have more one-on-one -on -one conversations with pastors of growing churches than anyone in America. If I'm not, I'm in the top five to 10. Yep, just the nature of the job. Yep. Okay, I'm not a conference speaker that I'm talking to 3,000 people at one time. No, just one-on-one. -on -one. Here's the thing. Every time I talk to a pastor, I ask this question. Hmm. I'm like, you know, you're depending on what stat it is this week, 84, 85% of all churches are plateaued or declining. Another 11, 12% are growing, but not at the rate of their city. So they're not making a huge debt. 
you're one of the 4%. I know it's the goodness of God, but what are y'all doing that's causing that growth? I ask everyone on that question. Here's the number one answer I get. And this shows the humility of growing churches and the type of person God wow. uses. Okay. Here's what they tell me, Brian, we, we try to do everything we know how to do. We try to have good systems. We try to, you know, partner with the community. We try to serve people. Truthfully, Brian, we don't have a clue while we're growing. We were talking about it in the service. Where are all these, or in our staff meeting, where are all these people coming from? I would tell, I would tell people, it is so easy to go on Twitter and hammer everybody. Pastors of growing churches, it's been my experience, are the, some of the most humble people wow. you will ever meet. And they are just trying not to mess up what God is doing at their church. Wow. That has been my experience. Amen. Amen. I have nothing I have nothing to add to that. Yeah, you better believe it's some fruits plastic. Um, yeah. the other the other thing I was going to say, Brian, as we as we maybe end with, and I don't know why Siri's trying to listen to me right now. Um, <clears throat> we're going to shut her off. Um, her, I, I'm going to. There you go. We'll go with that. I stopped. Yeah, we'll go with that. I'm hanging out with my friends. I forgot we we were recording yeah, some we things here. <laughs> okay. Um. Uh. Brian, what you said, and, and, and I really want to go back to this because you were speaking, go back to and, and kind of end with this. Maybe we'll hit some a couple sports things at the end. We've been hitting sports throughout in case you haven't been paying attention. Um, you were talking to older leaders, which we have some older leaders that are listening to this podcast. We're helping them out with technology, with change. You talked about Nick Saban and change. What I have found in my personal experience, Brian, is the only old leaders that start to give up control. Well, let me, let me, let me edit that. The only old leaders that I want gone, that I want kicked to the curb, that as a young leader myself, who's 32, that, that, that I want to push out the door are the leaders that aren't giving up control. This is the, that's not the encouragement. Here's the encouragement. And here's what you were saying, Brian, what I have experienced and seen is the older leaders that have passed that mile 10 marker to 10 miles to retirement and they pass that sign five miles back, right? Yeah. 
who are giving up control, I don't want them to leave. I can't get enough of them. I keep them. I'm like, where? No, 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 no. You can't. What am I going to do when you retire? Right? So, so to all of you older leaders that are running churches that are about to pass it off, that are looking for pe- people to pass it off to, maybe reluctant to pass it off to the leaders that start to give generously control, experimenting with younger leaders, giving them opportunities. They don't kick you to the curb, even though that's what you're tempted to feel. They don't. They actually don't want you to leave and they continue to need you. Uh, and you get to stay for as long as you need to stay. And that, that's what I was feeling in my spirit, Brian, when you're talking, because those leaders that do that, you don't want them to go. I, yeah. as a younger leader, don't want them to go. There's a lot of counterintuitive things in this world. Um, you know, the, you know, let's go to Malachi three. If you trust God with the tithe, he then outlines those seven blessings. Okay. You can't outgive God. The more you give away, the more you get, you know, um, that's counterintuitive. Yes, it is. You know, in sales. Okay. So you may have some people who sell technology listening to this here. Here's what I've learned. If I don't care about getting the sale, if I just want to serve the churches that I talk to, guess what? More churches want to partner with me than if I was just trying to get the sale. That's right. And what you're saying is the more an older leader invests in the next generation, the more they give away, the more secure they become. That's right. It is just one of those counterintuitive things. So let, let me let me let me throw out this. I, this is this is the one thing I want to build on something DK said last time. And he talked about the root and things of that nature. Church growth today um, is is not is not about creativity. It's about character. COVID stripped COVID stripped away all non essentials. A hazer machine and a rock band ain't going to grow your church anymore. Now, look, you want to do ministry with excellence. Okay. Let's don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You, <laughs> yeah, right. you want to do ministry with excellence. But here's the thing. Does an attractional model still work? Yes and no. No, no. In the fact, the hazer machine and the light show and the screens, that, that ain't going to grow it. Optics are no longer going to grow it. Okay. Obedience will though. Uh, It's the person, it's the person who stands on that platform that they look at him or her or who's ever up there. I'm trying to cast a wide bet here. Yeah. Okay. They look at that person and they say, that person has spent time with God. Yes. That's the real deal. And that person will tell me about the, what God thinks about the issues of my life and how I can have a thriving life here on earth yep. and spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. People are attracted to that. They will line up to that all day long. So competence is important, you know, but character has now superseded everything else. And that's why that tent of meeting is so important because people are pitching their tents and all they want's the real deal. That's it. And that is the attractional model that works in today's churches. Here's what you want. Here's what you want. Okay. You want a 1980s message wrapped in 2000s excellence. Yes. That's it. You you want to talk about sin and heaven and hell and 
the importance of the Bible and the word and what that means. And you want to talk about obedience and sacrifice and, you know, and you do want to talk about joy and love. You want the whole counsel of God. So you want that 1980s message a lot of us grew up on, but you still need to deliver ministry with excellence because I'm going to be honest tonight, I'm going to be watching you know, Disney Plus or Netflix or something, and it's yeah. it's going to be high quality. So that's I, right. <laughs> I kind of now demand it. So that's that's my yep. thoughts on on that as well. For anybody you got to hold listening. both, man, yeah, Brian. Oh my goodness, uh, <clears throat> I did not see this podcast going here. I got to be honest. Uh, I did not. I did not see this as. Um, I did not expect this much gold. I knew that we were going to talk about some really important things, uh, and we went to a lot of different places. DK, you got you got anything as we kind of wrap this wrap this one up here? Any 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 closing thoughts? That's right. Yeah. That, <laughs> hey, hey, yes, sir. Yeah. Oh my heavens. You know, um, how many names you want? Okay. Mike Lynch, the senior pastor of North Star Church in Kennesaw, Georgia. Mm. Uh, I am. I have the privilege of being part of a Bible study that happens every Monday, and it's with high school, collegiate, uh, minor league, and professional league uh, coaches and scouts for baseball. Wow. Well, Mike has organized that, so he's kind of the pastor of it. That's awesome. Uh, every Monday, we get over 70 people from all across the country uh, on Zoom, and many of the names would be people that listeners yep. would, would know. Uh, Mike Lynch kind of oversees that. Mike, the convergence of technology, sports, ministry, uh, he's the man. Okay. I, Mike Lynch. Mike Lynch. Lynch. And okay. if you need me to do the connection, I will. Yeah. Yes. Um, I'm going to assume that your top three, you can probably help us with the connection. Okay. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Who's, who, uh, who's number two? Kevin Burrell. Okay. Kevin Burrell is a name that your, your audience may not know, but he is the Southeastern Director of Scouting for the Chicago White Sox. Oh, wow. And is absolutely the most passionate human being about the subject of discipleship I've ever met. Wow. And Kevin is unique. His mentality is we're all pastors. You may be disguised as a scout or a coach or an accountant or a mechanic or whatever. We're all pastors. We're just disguised as something else. Therefore, his and his spiritual antenna is up every moment of every day of how can I minister to somebody? Wow. So you may be in a Waffle House in Hayhira, Georgia, scouting some, you know, high school kid. Kevin's on the lookout to disciple somebody in that Waffle House. So, so Mike Lynch, number one, Kevin Burrell, number two. Uh, number three, look, if you haven't had him yet, uh, Jason Romano, formerly of ESPN, who does the Sports Spectrum podcast, he's your guy. I we're going to throw some. We're going to throw some flowers to Jason. Jason's a good friend of the podcast, uh, and we we have we have had Jason on. So I'm glad 
Thank God this podcast got one of the three right uh, off of Brian, Brian Dodd's top three. But yeah, we would love to be connected um, with those other two. Um, okay, we got a uh, couple rapid fire questions. Favorite NFL player all time? Tom Brady. Tom Brady is? Okay, we've referenced him. Okay, very good. Uh, favorite NFL coach? Probably not Nick Saban. Of all time? Uh, well, not NFL. Uh, favorite NFL coach of all time? Pete Carroll. Oh. Bill Belichick would be number two, but I – Yeah, I, I, I do I, like I, Bill Belichick. I just hate the Seahawks. I actually love Pete Carroll. Okay. Um, I'm telling you what. Have you read the book Win Forever by Pete Carroll? No, I haven't read that yet. That you can thank me later. Okay, I'm, I will. Thank you later. I would like to amend my answer. Bill Walsh is my favorite of all time. Okay, that's you. You listed off three great ones, so you yeah. can't go well, around there. Okay, yeah, if if Steve Jobs was going to be a football coach, he'd be Bill Walsh. Okay, got it. And read, got it. And by the way, the Bible's number one. Twenty-one irrefutable laws of leadership is number two. The uh, Leadership as Identity by Crawford Loritz, the fourth best leadership book I've ever read, regardless of genre. The score takes care of itself by Bill Walsh. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah, the amount of gold that's been dropped here, you get it. This is a steak. This is a 46 ounce porterhouse steak. I just violated the rapid fire rule. I apologize. It's okay. No, no, no. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> thank you. You can interrupt. By the way, Brian, you've earned the right to interrupt us anytime you want to <laughs> extract some extra. Uh, favorite NBA player of all time? Oh, uh, without doubt, Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. Okay. Who I'm assuming you would also say is the greatest NBA player of all time. I would, but I would say LeBron's got the greatest career. <laughs> That's a great way to, to reframe to reframe the conversation. Yes, sir. <laughs> Somebody's got the best stats, but somebody else was the best player. Somebody if, else if is I, the best player. If you've made me pick one player on one day, it'd be Jordan. 20 years, my heavens. And what he was doing this year, 20 years in the league at 38. Yep. Unheard of. Unheard of. Best career. Best career is LeBron James. Okay. Um We've already established your favorite Premier League coach. So one of the things I have one more question for you at the very end. Uh, but what I what DK and I did not do is how do people connect with you, Brian? Where what like do, drop your yeah. email, drop your website. Well, we've already dropped your website a couple times. Drop it again for the people in the back. Um, you know where where should people be DMing you? Uh, all of those sorts of things. Yeah, without a doubt. Thank you for that. Brian.onleadership.com is where you can get my content. I post six or seven times a week. And it's you just get your so books fun. there too. Is that the best best place to buy your books? Amazon's best place. Okay. Yeah, you can buy just search Brian Dodd and look, Mighty's we'll my new it. one. Yeah, and the thing is, some of the stories I've told are all coming out of the book Mighty. So you okay. got a preview of Mighty, you just didn't know it. Uh, I, I'm still old school. I'm a Twitter guy at Brian K Dodd. B R I A N, not Y. Brian with an I. K Dodd. D O D D. And if you DM me on Twitter, you 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 are likely to get a fast response. And another fast response is my email, Brian D at Enjoy Stewardship, I-N-J-O-Y, stewardship.com. Unfortunately, I am, to much to the chagrin of my wife, unfortunately,
email and that Twitter account. I don't stare at them all the time, but they're they're in the periphery. Yeah. <laughs> We're not yeah. perfect till we get to heaven. So I, I mean, I still got to work on that a little bit. <laughs> okay. Brian, thank you. All of that for those of you listening is in the show notes of the podcast episode you're listening to or the description of our YouTube channel. We will make sure and link out to everything that Brian said and all of his books on Amazon. Brian, you may have just given it away, but what is your favorite social network? Oh my, well, I just gave it away. Yeah, I'm, I'm still Twitter. I'm so sorry for everybody. I know I no, should be No Instagram. apologies here. This is a Twitter podcast and it's not an old school uh, opinion. Yeah. It's very yeah, much a new school opinion. Yeah, I'm 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 still Twitter. I, okay. I still love so it. so give us a why. What 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 makes Twitter, in your opinion, the best? Because I can get great content, and I can select my news sources. Let me explain my news sources. The Daily Coach, written by Mike Lombardi and George Raveling. Coach the coaches. You know, I mean, I get that feed, and you know. ESPN. You know, there's certain writers on the athletic. I love the athletic, you know, so I follow these different writers and bottom line, when those writers post things, Seth Wickersham, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski, all these type of people, when they're tweeting, that is my, that's my newsfeed. It ain't Fox. It ain't CNN. It's yep. individual writers that I follow. There is no better place. DK, before we wrap this, this, this just beautiful podcast up, you got anything Definitely else? Definitely beautiful. Um, I think if you're looking for more writers, ESPN, just let go a slew of them before we had this podcast. So y'all make sure y'all support them uh, as they're going through transition. But big brother Dodd, thank you for your time, your expertise, um, your heart for leadership. It has blessed me over the years. I've quoted you in my sermons. I've told people about, you know, your work as a whole. And I'm just forever uh, indebted to um, tall giants like you who are still, who still have a heart for people like me. So I appreciate it. Well, DK, I mean, you and Aaron, the pleasure is all mine. The resource that you provide to church leaders and to the kingdom as a whole is significant and is is vital and deeply important. And the fact that I got to play a little role and invest in your audience today, look, I appreciate all your kind words. The blessing has been all mine. And uh, we need to do this again sometime in the future. We yes. will. We will, Brian. This this is the first time, but it won't be the last time. And you all, as a listening audience, have an opportunity to play that exact same blessing. You can pay it forward to somebody else by hitting subscribe wherever you are listening to this podcast. Or if you're watching on YouTube, those two actions allow our content to get into the hands of those who are searching for excellent leadership tips and insights and just Maybe they haven't run across Brian. I don't know how. They they might be like me and they haven't run across Brian and they need to. Your subscription allows us to get in front of them. So thank you in advance for doing that. And we will catch you on the next episode. 